Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. I'm Amr Dalawalia, the Editor-in-Chief of The Evolution and host of Illumination by Modern Campus. On today's episode, I chat with Frank Cappadocia, Dean of Continuous Professional Learning at Humber College. While we booked the interview initially to chat about applying a startup mentality to the higher ed space, we get sidetracked almost immediately, talking about Frank's background in student affairs, the nature of competition in today's higher ed marketplace, and how modern colleges can position themselves for success. I promise you it's a fun conversation. Enjoy. Frank, thank you so much for joining us for the Illumination podcast. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Amrit. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Well, you've got a really interesting background in in the continuing in higher ed space. And, you know, in the previous conversation that you and I had, you talked about it as, as being kind of constantly in a phase of, of working in startups in the very established higher ed space. So can you add a little color to that? I mean, what's your kind of startup experience in the higher ed space? Yeah, I mean, uh, for whatever variety of reasons, Emirate, I've just been drawn to the opportunity to get things done in a different way. And uh, so I, I had the blessing uh, of being in, I would say, for me, the right place at the right time, starting really with my cutting my teeth at Ryerson. Uh, you know, I, I came up through the ranks through student affairs at Ryerson, but I was there when it was a polytechnic institute. And it was going through some massive transformation itself. And uh, as I, you know, continued to move into those different places and spaces was there when Ryerson's continuing education program was very small, not really well known. And through the work of some incredible people saw it transformed into what it is today. I mean, the Chang School is a powerhouse. Uh, It's something I'm very mindful of in my current role as uh, Dean of Continuous Professional Learning at Humber. Uh, but but I was blessed to be in that space. And then as things progressed in my own career, opportunities began to present themselves. And I simply said, you know, I think this is the right place in time. I ended up being the inaugural uh, director of student community leadership development at York. Uh, and then uh, from there, I ended up uh, at, at Lake Hedorilla and being an inaugural uh, uh, associate dean of student affairs there and then eventually an AVP. And all the way through that, uh, there's always been this draw to new opportunities and, and new ways of doing things. Uh, and then here I am now at, at Humber, and again, this new role as an inaugural uh, dean of CPL. So all kinds of interesting firsts and uh, exciting places to be. So I do want to get into the idea of sort of a startup philosophy, a startup mentality, because it is, it's such an interesting concept in an industry that is as, call it stoic, uh, as the post-secondary space. But before we get into that, the, the transition from student affairs to continuing ed is an interesting one. Um, what impact has that background in student affairs had on your own perception, your own perspective of, of how to engage learners and how to make sure that they, they have a welcoming landing spot in, in your continuing ed unit? It has been such an absolute joy for me to be able to look at chances and opportunities and ways of bringing those two worlds together. Because there are these notions, you know, so I ended up doing my master somewhere along that road. And then my, my, my thesis was on the identification of online learner needs. So that was my thesis as we were just beginning to offer online learning to this group. And, and what came out of the analysis is that people, despite being online or 
you know, I would call it differential learning modalities, they still want and need a connection to that campus. They still want and need a connection to how it evolves and to be a part of it. And so knowing that, having done the student affairs side, um, that's been, you know, one of my secrets. Unfortunately, I'm going to end up probably giving away a couple of these, but I'm going to be careful. But one of them for sure is quite simply looking at every single learner as an individual with opportunity in disguise, right? Where they have an actualization, they've come into that entity hoping to realize. And, you know, what student affairs, big part of student affairs' job is to help them in that transitional state, but also making sure that they've got the confidence of the decisions that they made. And, you know, when we come to adult learning, I don't know about you, Amrit, but I'm quote unquote an adult now, right? That's <laughs> by definition. I don't know. It's still debatable, right? But, but looking at that, I'm going to tell you, I still need lots of guidance and advice. I still look to people that identify as mentors. And so I don't think any of us that where that really ends, right? And, and so for us to sort of draw these lines, or well, an adult learner kind of doesn't need access to these types of supports is so short-sighted and fundamentally flawed. And the research shows that. So what can we do as post-secondary institutes to make sure we're responding to those folks and most importantly, welcoming them sometimes back in because they've been out for a while and sometimes welcoming them completely into doors they've never walked through. That's a really interesting one, right? Where someone's never come into post-sec and really didn't think they'd ever be in post-sec. And to be honest, I was one of those folks, man. My family's in heating air conditioning. Mm-hmm. How I ended up working my entire career in the post-secondary environment is still uh, kind of surprising to me, right? But, but there, there it is. And so really being able to present that welcome space and the right people who can interface with them is vitally important. You know, it's, it's interesting you, you make that point because when you look at the two units on campus that really are positioned to create diversity of access and diversity of success, it's continuing ed and it's student affairs. Um, and the, the, the model that you're framing out here is, it's more than just how do we support success in, in the short term, what you're kind of positioning is is the role of the institution as as the mentor, as the guide, which is central to the idea of the six-year curriculum. And if you think about sort of the evolving role of continuing education in general, like how can continuing ed divisions start positioning themselves to be that that hub for lifelong learning engagement for a modern college or a modern university that that's really looking to serve learners over a lifetime? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is challenging the dynamics of what a continuing education space is. Mm. You know, I think for the longest time, what CE was seen as, and still is in a lot of quarters, is an add-on to the full, you know, hey, you've got this uh, full-time entity, and what this is is kind of a hitch that you connect to it. And then from time to time, you decouple and you recouple, but you could leave it somewhere for a couple of years and then come back to it. In other words, it just hasn't had the primacy of full-time programming, which I get, by the way. I understand that. The, the thing is, if you're looking at it as a second stream or third tertiary or you know, uh, fifth stream, what you're doing is short, short-changing yourself in terms of the capacities that you can bring. I've often said, and certainly uh, to the leadership team that, that I interact with, I see CPL as an opportunity to reverse engineer all kinds of, to be test driving and engaging in all kinds of unique and diverse and dynamic 
ways of doing things, perhaps with less of a risk than a full-time, reg highly regulated, government-funded program would. And what we're looking at in the universe that we occupy is also, and I think you and I chatted about this a little bit in our previous conversation, Emirate, the private sector mm -hmm. choosing to go where we as post-secondary parties have perhaps been, you know, loathful or slothful or disinterested in going. It doesn't matter why or how. The truth is they're there already. They're beginning to occupy really important space. And if we're not careful, it's those private entities that will begin to shape the uh, space that we call post-secondary learning. And that would be a real shame for a variety of reasons. I mean, the, the first is there are some not-for-profit partners in that space, but they're far and few between. We're talking about a for-profit entity doing things for different reasons. And so we've got to find that blended space where we can bring the empirical now more than ever. The truth does matter. Facts are relevant. And we have to be able to advocate for that. Because if we don't, someone else will. And that would be, I think, a detrimental uh, reality to ourselves, our institutions, and the communities we're part of. So for me, you can tell, like, like I'm really driven to that, right? Like, I think CPL is an agent for positive change within the institution and has an opportunity to try different ways, methodologies, and approaches and then look empirically at how those work and, and cross-bridge them into the faculty. What, what I'm used to is continuing education is a place where the full-time programs will hand over some of their stuff, and then it's kind of reconstructed, and then you deliver it. That, that's not my interest as much as trying to co-create some really new things that tie the academic side to that for-profit side, not opposed to profit finding those bridges though, and then enabling that multiplier to present itself. That's where I think the real strong position is for, for any of us in the sector. You know, that's such an interesting, and I promise you, we're gonna get to this concept of the startup mentality, but, but I, wanna talk, I, I wanna talk the nature of competition because you're right. Um, there are private providers that are starting to come in the post-secondary space to start to change the nature of competition for post-secondary providers. And frankly, they're changing the nature of, of learner expectations, right? Because they're coming in, they're promising very clear outcomes, they're promising employment. We know that 80% of students enroll in post-secondary programs for employment purposes, yeah. right? But these, these providers are making that, taking that very seriously. Some of them are offering pricing models that are based on future salary. Some of them are offering uh, direct uh, pipelines into particular employers. Um, so it, it starts to create an interesting uh, a, an interesting construct for, for the, the, the nature of competition in the post-secondary space, because once upon a time it was, you know, we the institution are the only game in our postal code or in our zip code. And then it was, okay, now we have to compete with regional providers because folks can get out and about and they can, they can get around maybe the province or the state. Uh, we emerged then into a well. Now it's an it's a it's a national it's a global competition between internet uh, online providers. And now there's just a totally different brand of institution, a totally different brand of education provider that yeah. that's offering a totally different product. So as a post secondary institution in this emerging competitive environment, how are you positioning yourself, the college, the programs to be competitive against a completely new arrival? Yeah. The, the first thing is to look at, you know, the emergence of those new arrivals. And what's really interesting, you've talked about differential payment models. You know, I remember being a student leader 
way back, York Federation of Students, and was a vice president. And at the time, they were talking about income contingent loan repayment, right, ICLR. And as a, as a very interesting concept, and I think Australia even ran with it. It may still be in place in Australia. I can't remember. But, um, you know, so therein lies one of the, the myriad of challenges in front of us, right? You've got these for-profit ventures um, and some nonprofits as well. Uh, tying their their boats together to say how do we move move forward in this in the sea that is always constantly shifting and moving. I mean that's the other thing. I, you know, having been in the sector for thirty plus years now, I'm re- I've been uh, approached by any variety of senior executives, presidents, vice president, managing directors, and they've consistently said to me, "We need better learners, right? We need better learners. They've got to be workplace ready. It has to have more." stuff. And when I've said to them, so tell me exactly what the stuff is, right? What is it? And we can help ensure they have it. But you know, to this day, up to this point, I can still, I've gotten 75 different answers for 75 interactions on the question. So I, I think the, the one uh, piece I'm mindful of is some of those uh, things that are presented as new really aren't that new, part A, mm. You know, as many of my master's thesis folks would say, you know, where did you cite that, Frank? Because that's, you know, there aren't that many new creativity things. Um, but but so part A is what's new. Part two is does it have longevity? Is is what their is their approach actually got legs to it? And and part three, should we how should we engage? One of the things I've always been aware of is when institutions, and I've seen this happen many times, wanting to be like institution X or Y, right? They say, we need to be like them because they're the big guys. They're doing some stuff right. They're earning big dollars. And so we have to become like them. And in that process, th- there's an identity crisis that emerges because we're not like them. We are not them and we're not like them. And actually where they're going, um, Ryerson's a perfect example. Again, I bring up Ryerson a couple of times. Lakehead as well in some ways though. That transition from where they are to where, you know, they've, where they've been to where they are what isn't being written about is that there's a lot of um, injury that's generated that benefit, right? So there's a lot of pain to have gotten to that uh, musculature, you know, and uh, that isn't always necessarily identified. So what is it that's worth replicating? What can we borrow? What can we look at and say, yeah, you know what? They figured it out. That's part one. I've seen tons of people say, oh, that's, we're not even going to look at them. That's a mistake. Um, so part A is recognizing that they are a competitor in the space. Uh, part two is, is what they're doing something more along the lines of a fad or does it have some permanency to it? Is there something we should be paying attention to? And the third is, is there a way we can beat them at that game? And I, what I've seen happen, and, and for example, here's as an example, in Africa, they bypassed hardline wiring for phone systems, right? There's a skip completely over to why wireless technology and cell phones. The problem with being at the very front of the line is that sometimes you're engaged in a technology that's not gonna be permanent. And in fact, may only be a two year, a three year blip. And so what I'm also looking at is the five year and the six year window and saying, you know, thanks for starting out. I'm gonna actually jump, you know, I'm gonna leapfrog you, right? So I, I play leapfrog, well, I can't anymore, but you know, my theoretical leapfrogging is about how can I take a look at what they're doing? Because they've got a lot more money than I do. They've got way more access to promotional dollars. And then how do I attach that 
to a highly personalized interpersonal dynamic. So that's me talking to you and you as a learner coming in and that engagement, which I, I fear we've in many ways for a lot of different reasons moved away from, right? We've embedded high tech into our, uh, you know, our digital fluency is dynamic and rich, but that interpersonal dynamic is still back to the faculty learner and I think there's always going to be a place and need for that rich engagement. And in order for it to happen, we've got to have rich engagements at the very front of that phone call or email or, you know, TikTok or whatever now uh, tool they're using to get a hold of us. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting because, you know, to a certain extent, the, the bootcamp model, call it what you will, isn't necessarily about the delivery of the, the material itself. What it's more showing is that there's a market and a value for for very intensive short form career oriented programming, um, you know, and that's that's the piece of that that I think we can really we can take away and we can build off of. But to your point, it's not necessarily about the exact thing that's being taught. Uh, it's more about you know the well may, maybe we should focus on career. <laughs> uh, you know, and and. Uh... It's a simple thing to ask, right? So, you know, here we've got X number of steps, 15, 20,000 continuous professional learners in some way, shape, and form. What do they want? Like, when have we last asked them as a pool, you know, what is it that you yourself as an individual are looking for? What do you want to get out of this experience? And how would you best interact with that? So that's, that's part A, that's one. But then I think the mistake has been made where they've done that, they've asked, and then they presume they know that those questions are by fiat correct for sure. And that's another mistake, right? Because they haven't taken the faculty, they haven't taken the facilitators and asked the same question. What do you think? And so, yeah. I mean, I, I'm someone who loves ancient history. You know, it, it, I won't get into my leadership stuff with you, Amrit. That's a whole other workshop. But you know, if you take a look at any of the great leaders, and, and many of them are out there, but we just very quickly look at Alexander the Great, and one of his methodologies is triangulation, right? He would ask three people the exact same question, but they'd be three very different people. He'd ask his physician, you know, how should I best invade Persia? Should I go from the north? He'd ask a frontline soldier the exact same question. He'd ask one of his key generals the exact same question, and he then would triangulate the answer predicated on those different bodies. So we've got the learners, we've got the faculty who interact with them and who are our course developers as well. Um, and then you've got the professionalized group, the, these folks like me and to some degree like you, who have a repertoire of experiences and have seen some of those things. And so how do we triangulate those three relative pieces so our stool is firm enough to sit on? But, but where I've seen failure is where one of those legs has either been unfortunately thinner than the other or non-existent. And if it's non-existent, it's not going to stabilize weight. And there you go. So I, I just give you that as one of the little examples, one of the tools that could work and should be applied by all of us. Uh, our competitors are doing exactly that. They're asking those questions. They've, they've got AI tech working behind the scenes to help distill out and then to zero in on what exactly is needed, how is it best delivered and what frame, you know, and what format. And on that front, they've got some really interesting approaches. And those are the things we also do have to look at. There's just no way around it. You know, what's interesting here is that um, 
as we're talking about the nature of competition, the nature of competitiveness in, in sort of an evolving continuing out space, I, I, I'm coming back to where we started the conversation a little bit, right? About that, the student affairs mentality and that student engagement mindset. Yeah. Um, and as you're building out your, your division, as, as you're exploring opportunities to create this kind of uh, centralized, humber-wide approach to, to corporate engagement, to, to non-traditional learner engagement, to non-degree programming, how important is the student experience, customer service, uh, seamless learner experiences and interactions to helping the college position itself as, as a leader and as a, as a destination in, in an incredibly rich and an incredibly rich post-secondary environment. I was, uh, I was a student at York, brand new. I, and I'd come out of Humber. I graduated from Humber. So I was an advanced standing transfer student, came in. Uh, I was older. I was 21. I already had a diploma. And I had been SAC president at Humber. So I, you know, I, was, I was a guy on campus. I knew everybody. And now I'm at York and I know nobody. And I'm an island in a sea of strangers and uh, really was very frustrated and asked, was asking myself whether I'm even cut out for post-secondary at the university level. There was a little tuck shop and people at York and that tuck shop still there uh, was smaller than my home office here. Um, and you show up and there's the owner um, and just an absolute, just a great guy, uh, older, older gentleman and, uh, you know, big smile. How are you doing today? right? Like a really big, a genuine. And I, you know, I said, well, why not? I might as well just tell like, I'm not very good, man. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm digging this, right? I'm not sure I'm in the right place, doing the right thing. I just, I'm not sure. And what he said to me, as I'm buying my Diet Coke or whatever I was buying, he said, you know what? Every day is an opportunity for us to try something new. So, you know what? Give yourself tomorrow to try to come at it differently. And anytime you want to come by, you just do that. And don't worry, nothing, you don't have to buy anything in the store. What was fascinating is in that moment, I was like, holy macaroni, there's somebody here who's really interested in me as a person. Um, and yeah, you know, I bought my Coke. I would walk a kilometer and a half to buy my Coca-Cola from his store, not for the Coca-Cola, it's the same Coca-Cola, whether you buy it at the vending machine or whatever. But so here's the thing. So, so Learners, do you think like an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 25-year-old is going to walk a kilometer away to buy a Coke from a, this little tuck shop in the middle of nowhere? And the answer is yes. And not just me. I looked around and suddenly realized there were a whack load of people lined up to buy whatever, knickknack, Coca-Cola, something, bag of chips from this guy who really cared about us as learners. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed away. When he passed away, the Scott Religious Center and there was a series of hosted events was, was beyond full. Like there was just this outpouring of an individual. So here, by argument's sake, you're talking about a single individual who's staffing or behind this, this little desk in a little kiosk at York University. And yet they were probably the single most important person to many of us as those learners, especially in that transitional state. I learned more from him than I did from some of my MBA, right? And what it taught me, Amrit, is it doesn't matter what role the person plays. When someone's looking for help, support, encouragement, it doesn't matter. All that matters is somebody in that institution cares enough about them 
and wants them to be successful. That's what really matters. And that's where I'll defeat any private entity out there is if I can build the tools, the capacity to have that kind of interaction happen with an alumnus, with someone who's been involved in a program of study, who can talk to them about what the future helped uh, unravel for them. And, you know, when I became then years later, director of student community at York, I actually, he was one of the first people I went to visit. And I told him this story. And I said, you know, I've never forgotten you. And actually, I want you to come in and teach customer service to my entire student affairs team. Uh, and, you know, he laughed and he says, like, I'm not a faculty. I don't do that. This is where my teaching happens, Frank, right? So, you know, bring them back here if you want. But the store only fits four people. But he was just such an incredibly wise and I would say awoken person in the, in the sense of that positive scope. Um, and that's where, we, that's where we have to meet the learners, right, is in that place and space. Um, and I think we can. I, I, absolutely. I know we can. And I've done that. I've done that and I've seen it happen before. The bigger the institution, the more challenges around doing that, because sometimes we've pulled ourselves so far away from the learner. I mean, there's so many layers between a dean and uh, Jack or Jill individual signing up for a course that it can be tricky to, to stay rooted in why we got into the business that we're in. But the sooner I can return to those core values of learner focus, mission-driven, right? So you'll see any of my stuff is learner-focused, mission-driven. The mission is not just the institutional mission. The institutional mission is here. The mission is to help every one of those learners achieve the success that we can with the capacities that we have. So that's, that's a bit of a long answer. But what I really just want to say is where we can reinstill the human connection to those high-tech, what we call high-tech, high-touch, yeah. That's really where we will will find the, the greatest successes in those places for sure. Well, Frank, we, we wound up going in a different direction today that, that I expected. And I guess all that means is that we're going to have to have you back on the illumination at some point. So I, I'm going to, uh, we're, we're at time. I'm going to stop us there. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat today. It's a sincere pleasure, uh, Emirate. Anytime, happy to do it. And like I said, you know, I, I couldn't give all my secrets away today, but I, I gave a big one away. So I, I hope <laughs> that uh, anyone listening benefits and enjoys what you and I, a great chat. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learning engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing in workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.